Welcome, fellow traveller, to the TED Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. Stephanie Drury in the tent today. Stephanie is the founder and the curator of Stuff Christian Culture Likes, which was a Facebook page and is now active on Instagram. Stephanie is also active on Twitter, and you can see her wickedly funny observations on those social media platforms. The site started as a humor site, shining a light on crazy things that evangelicals and fundamentalists like and do and say, reflecting Stephanie's own upbringing in the Southern Baptist tradition. But the site also has a serious edge to it, and a lot of people have come to Stephanie because they have been hurt or traumatized or otherwise burnt out by the culture that she is talking about. In her real life, Stephanie works in the field of trauma counseling and trauma care, and she has found that there is a parallel between the sorts of people that she deals with on a daily basis and the kinds of people that are coming to her because of stuff Christian culture likes. A pertinent case in point is the Mars Hill Church in Seattle, where Stephanie now lives. Mars Hill was run and founded by Mark Driscoll, the pastor who is now the focus of a very popular podcast run by Christianity Today magazine called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. This podcast has become massively popular, and I dare say a lot of people who listen to Tent are aware of the Mars Hill podcast as well. In this conversation, Stephanie and I talk about the podcast and her role in the fall part of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Both Stephanie and I have not listened to the Mars Hill podcast, and after we talked about it, we realized that we probably needed to clarify some of our points before you listen to the conversation. The first thing I want to say is that I get asked a lot if I've heard that podcast run by Christianity Today. And my common response is that I do not need to listen to the Mars Hill podcast to know that Mark Driscoll is bad news. He has been bad news for a long time, and I've been aware of his work, his misogyny, his bullying, his violent behavior, and his deceit and fraudulent activities for quite some years now. I don't need to listen to the Christianity Today podcast to be aware of it which is why I don't really engage with that work. Stephanie also doesn't really engage with the Christianity Today podcast, but for different reasons. Stephanie was approached early on to be a part of the documentary series, because, as you will hear, she was involved in some of the events that led to the expose and downfall of a lot of Mark Driscoll's work in Seattle. A parenthesis here, Mark Driscoll is not dead and gone, and he has not been shut down. He has just moved on to another city where he is continuing his string of abusive and destructive behavior. This was part of the problem that Stephanie has with the podcast run by Christianity Today. She sees it as a podcast which is not centering the victims of the church, especially the women who were involved in and hurt by the activities of that place. Stephanie feels like she wasn't really clear in our conversation about how Christianity Today does not platform the victims. She wanted to mention how every time the podcast talks about women, they reference their husbands or the other men in their life. They do not do the same thing about the men who are mentioned in this podcast. The Christianity Today podcast does eventually get around to having victims share their voice on the podcast. However, this is an example of too little too late, and also it arrived only after Christianity Today received a ton of heat and criticism. The magazine was not willing to work with Stephanie, and in fact Stephanie has had some trouble later on with fans of the magazine and fans of the podcast, as you will hear. I like Stephanie a lot and have been following her voice for quite some time before I got to meet her. She is emotionally intelligent, razor sharp, and very funny. And I think the work she is doing is a very good example of what it might look like to bind up the brokenhearted. I hope you enjoy this conversation. 
have you been paying attention to the news? I, yeah. <laughs> are, are you talking about the, the trucker convoy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the trucker convoy would be a lot of people from from my part of the world that I grew up in. Yes. Well, that would happen down south where I grew up. And um, my husband uh, went to Regent College on the BC campus, or BC campus. And he, his good friend moved to Abbotsford to pastor after that. And when we visited, I, I said, I cannot believe I'm in Canada. I feel like I'm back in Texas, like small town Texas. Same culture, evangelical stuff. They got mad at him for making a sermon reference to a movie that had a curse word in it. You know, I'm like, I cannot believe y'all are Canada. So it was it's really interesting how pervasive that evangelicalism is. <laughs> Yeah, and I think people think Canada is like some sort of uh, progressive enclave, but it it has its pockets for sure of Southern style Christianity. <laughs> I mean, my friend Greg uh, Brad Jerzak's from Abbotsford. I don't know if you ever ran across Brad Jerzak in your travels. Doesn't ring a bell. But he's a he's a good guy. He's he's tr- he's doing his best to fight the power. Although, he, like a lot of people, he he kind of went from charismatic evangelical to he's now orthodox. He made that migration. So, isn't that weird? How it's so polar. Like it's yeah. a pendulum swing. People start at one end and end up somewhere on another point of the spectrum. I mean, I couldn't do that. I think people assume I'm going to do that, but I'm 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 moving away from institutional church. I'm not moving into even. Oh, more I know. <laughs> I I should like I. You didn't ask me this, but I am. I go to mass or adoration as often as possible more than one I, I want to go to adoration more than once a day and people say why don't you just go ahead and become a confirmed catholic and i can't in good conscience because i don't agree with the church's stance on women lgbtq so many other issues but i do believe that jesus is present in the eucharist i don't have a problem with that <laughs> and that only comes from right. a mystical sort of lens there or it's just something that, that came and yeah. found me and so I don't have any explanation and I don't feel like I would be uh holding it well if I said well I need to become confirmed to this earthly institution now because of this it's it's uh, the, the the institutions are no good you'd, you'd probably get canceled wouldn't you <laughs> I mean if you did join the Catholic Church Stephanie you'd probably get canceled pretty quick so, I mean, was it, did you have any of that kind of spiritual mystical stuff growing up? I mean, does the Southern Baptists have anything like that? I did. And um, I was very young. And I think it's what saved my sanity. Mm. Is an early memory okay. I had is why do these people only talk about Jesus and his love, but they're so mean. Yeah. I felt like I had a sort of understanding with God that, he was apologetic to me. Like, I'm sorry, these people are misrepresenting what I'm about. Mm -hmm. And that was very helpful. (laughs) But I think I was so young that I didn't even know to tell anyone or question it or just, I was just, it just helped me through. It kind of carried me through. Were you, were you using humor? Like, were you making fun of it even as a kid? I was always getting in trouble in Sunday school and, you know, my parents are like, why are you doing this? I'm like, because you guys don't believe what you say you believe. Right. It's just, iron. it's ironic, right? I mean, you, you like Kierkegaard, don't you? You're a bit of a Kierkegaard person, I think. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm super familiar with tons. I read either or, you know, in college. Okay. You know, I didn't take any theology classes, but he's something I, I kind of stumbled on. And um, I really appreciated how he was suspicious of, um, dogma, you know, he he said, "Don't lose the meaning in all the the ritual." And well, he also used humor. Like mm-hmm. it was kind of like, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And I I just got to laugh. I mean, it's it's so monstrously bad that I, the world I'm living in right now. I either got to just laugh at it, or I've got to rage and never stop raging. So I'm going to choose to laugh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I think there's any true good humor that comes from a place that has isn't painful you know that's what cheese is you know cheesy superficial humor obnoxiousness yeah that's not rooted in anything real it's not rooted in suffering (laughs) no yeah it's the sentimental 
schmaltz really that stops you from feeling something it pretends to be about feeling but really it's protecting you from actually feeling anything real right yeah you just said yeah. that so perfectly that's exactly what it is well this is why uh, my favorite theologian is stanley Hauerbass. i don't know if you've ever yeah. come across stanley yeah so see he, he he says the great sin of american christianity is sentimentality <sighs> and i was like i wonder what that means i think it means something like this because yeah. it's purely self-indulgent it's self-referential to be sentimental right yeah without any um connection i suppose so when did you start i mean i'm just really interested because obviously i guess i probably know you now i know you through some really weird stuff i'm recording this right now i think that i probably have an audience of me right now when i talk about the best show at john worcester i was shocked that you yeah you're a fan and you're also okay i'm gonna put this out there if any of my listeners know anything if there are any friends of tom out there then identify yourselves because this will be amazing but i actually don't know you through theology circles it's because you keep getting posted on on uh, john worcester's instagram <laughs> page uh, right and and it's also through um it wasn't actually through stuff christian culture likes i think it was i think it was i noticed that you were you were getting published on john worcester's page and then i followed you and then i noticed the mars hill stuff oh okay so so some, something happened. I was like, this is an interesting person. Hmm. And then uh, I have never listened to any of the Mars Hill podcast, the uh, Rise and Fall I of Mars Hill. Because of you, Stephanie. Thank <laughs> you. Because your, vo your voice got in first, right? And so now when people write to me going, have you heard of this podcast? Because they always do. I basically am like, I don't need to lick dog shit to know it tastes bad. Thank you. Uh, just listen to Stephanie. I say, go look up Stephanie Jury and listen to podcasts she says about Mars Hill. That's so kind. <laughs> I really appreciate that because they completely are upholding the rhetoric of Mars Hill and how they've approached that podcast. Talk about mentality and self-referentiality. Let's talk about this. Are you sick of talking about this yet? No. Are you bored of this? No, I'm not. But what's weird is when I do talk about it, my platforms go down. Okay, I, this is where I was going to start. I was going to start with saying, like, you you get shut down. Your mm -hmm. Twitter accounts and your Facebook get shut down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And my Instagram now. I got my my personal account, my private account got shut down yeah. on Christmas Day. It's very strange. Because of, it, because of it, the theology bros. talking about Christianity today. I, I, I went up against Christianity today because the producer, I'm not going to say his name, uh yeah said well he uh, this was probably a year ago because it was january of 2021 i got an email from him where he said would you be interested in being on this podcast i said sure and we were going to set up a time and then mm. later he tweeted that people who are calling out spiritual abuse are just uh punching down and they're whiny or something to that effect and mm. i retweeted it and said actually it's really important to be able to call out spiritual abuse and it's the opposite of punching down. Yeah. After that, no follow-ups on me being on the podcast. Because he could see my angle. And um, when some mutual friends who are already in contact with him to, to be on the podcast or provide sound, Driscoll sound bites for the podcast, I yeah. said, what, what's the deal with Stephanie? Uh, why aren't you, you know, I, you really need to have her on. And he said, that I am too vitriolic, too hostile, and frankly, too vulgar to be on the podcast. Okay. And it's like, that is, if, if you're gonna have, he has a theologian at the top of every sound, uh, a soundbite of a theologian, top of every episode I've yeah. heard, who they bleep. And that guy is widely known for having been domestically abusive. Right. So, and, and everyone knows that, you know, everyone knows it happened, but people are like, whatever. It's just a big shrug. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When I've called out that guy before my platform, like uh, Facebook post disappeared. This was years ago. I, you know, they, they, it's very interesting. They've got connections and they're mad that people are saying, yeah, you're not platforming the true victims here. What you're doing is you're propping up this culture of misogyny and abuse and marginalization because what's christianity today based on who funds them it's it's not advertising it's all these private parties who are trump supporters basically 
Yeah, even though Christianity Today itself comes out against Trump, the the whole apparatus but around it is very, for very years, Trumpy. And they platformed Driscoll for yeah. years. And it's just finally when the tide turns, like, oh, this is going to make us look bad. So let's make it look as if we're against Mars Hill. Well, we actually, like, I, I keep hearing that they constantly prop up Mark. And they're like, well, he was a really gifted speaker. He might have hurt a few people, but he really saved, saved more than he hurt. Right. So is that is that the thrust of this podcast? A kind of a like, oh, a good thing that went bad and is now back on track again. Is that the uh, is that the kind of general tone of that podcast? I, don't, I haven't listened to it, and people would say that I my opinion is invalidated because I won't listen to it. But right, for, right. You know, the way I've been treated by the people who do the podcast, and the way I I was I was here in Seattle with the victims when it was all going on, and that's when I started my Twitter account, Fake Driscoll, which they shut down. Um, for no reason. I didn't violate any rules. But anyway, um, I was talking to women that whole time who had suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation, and were telling me, ever since I joined this church, they wanted me to quit my job and have a bunch of babies. And so I did, and like their mental health was destroyed. And they said, I signed a covenant with Mars Hill, which means, which said that I cannot seek outside counseling. I can only get counseling in-house, like lay counseling from these lay pastors, you don't need any credentials to be a pastor at Marcel, you, you know that much, right? So, um, and they go, these pastors are telling me that I just need to pray harder and submit to my husband more. And I've just thought what better plan of evil to destroy a family than to attack the mental health of a mother. And I just saw that happening and they were, this was told to me in confidence. So in order to get the word out, I started that Twitter account where I just like parodied Mark and yeah. Within an hour of me opening that yeah. Twitter account, I got an email from Mars Hill. <laughs> I don't know right. how they got my email address. And they said, all this legalese, like you're allowed to have this account, but you need to make absolutely clear that this is fake. And I go, it's called fake Driscoll. <laughs> it's called fake Driscoll. <laughs> what kind of stuff did you do on fake Driscoll? Oh, was it just I do stuff like, well, I will see on my commute into work, um, I okay. live a little outside of Seattle, so I'm like keeping in the bus every day. I would I would just listen to his sermon so I could kind of know his voice. And I started tweeting stuff like, um, we could really use your prayers because tomorrow's grace is way in and um, she's been hitting the treadmill. So I feel pretty good about the number we're going to see on the scale. And this was stuff that women told me went on, like behind closed doors. Yeah, right. They never tell you about overtly about yeah. Mars Hill, but, you know, lots of, you know, men's prayer breakfast meetings and you know, being attacked mm -hmm. by the enemy and, and feminist culture and mm. date night with your wife. So what was the, what was the, so they, they asked you to stop. You did stop. So what, what happened with fake Driscoll and the, uh, the Mars Hill so they ignored, experience? They ignored me for years until this was in December of 2020 that I find I went yeah. on and it was just gone. So, okay. Never got an email. It's amazing. So weird. So my then after I started talking about Christianity Today, I can't post to the stuff Christian Culture Likes Facebook page, and that was my biggest platform. Like I had maybe fourteen thousand followers there. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so which is so, huge. So stuff, stuff Christian Culture Likes that was already happening before Fake Driscoll or around the same yeah, time. I started that in two thousand seven. No wait. Eight, okay. Eight. And um, when when people were doing blogs, it started as a blog and then yeah. took it to Twitter yeah. and Facebook page. And it was just me deconstructing <laughs> in real time, basically. Which which has become I mean, anybody who's who who used to I, I've jumped off Facebook myself. I, I don't I hate it. But, uh, you know, anybody who's followed me would have accidentally found a lot of stuff you've been posting because I was just reposting a lot of that kind of oh. stuff Christian culture likes. But I find like. I couldn't, I can't, I can't consume very much of that at, at a time. It's too, it's too much. Do you find people tell you this? Well. That it's like, it's funny, but it's also just like, I can't I, believe that this was my life for such a long yeah, time. It was um, really helpful for me. I couldn't get enough when I was in the process of, of healing. Like when I was really, the scales were really falling and I needed to find community, like other people to, to tell me the emperor. Oh yeah. I see that emperor's, you know, <laughs> doesn't have any clothes on. So now, because it's become almost like a support. I mean, you ended up having to support, support people. Yeah, that's what it was. 
are you trained in this at all? Where did no, you get, how did you deal with that? I, no, I do, my degree is in health administration and I, I work, I do risk analysis for a trauma center, but I do get to read a lot of, you know, trauma social work and trauma stuff like that happens in real okay. time and, you know, power dynamics and, and people don't want to report their assault. Yeah. They hardly ever go to the police. The most horrific things happen to them. And they say, I can't, I can't tell the police because if this, it's out. He, his family will go after me. I will lose my children. You know, they don't have any social standing. They don't have any income. So it's just very much like power dynamics are in my face all the time. And I think and then you're seeing this happen. Like this is happening with the Mars Hill staff, with the evangelical culture that you're aware of. Mm -hmm. So you're bringing your trauma victim expertise into the evangelical world. Yeah, I guess so. Way to punch down, Stephanie. You're really punching down. <laughs> I mean, all these women who are the gaslighting statement. Because <laughs> poor Mark Driscoll, you know, like you know, who's he really he really Mark? needs our support. He does. Poor <laughs> Mark. All right, let's send to the women then. So tell me about like what happens to women in what was happening to women in the Mars Hill. Mm. Let's do the thing that Christianity Today wouldn't do. It's really interesting because the women have no voice they are trained and praised for for being very quiet very behind the scenes to anticipate the men's needs to pump out those babies my very good friend was a midwife during the mars hill heyday and she somehow got all their business you know someone recommended them and she goes i just i delivered all these mars hill babies and they're these were young women who just had them year after year after year she said a lot of them, she goes, I always knew it was a Mars Hill couple because the husband would come and just their vibe, like the husband was very protective and he didn't want to leave at the point of the visit where she needed to talk just to the patient, the, the pregnant expecting mother. And a lot of times the women would share, I just don't like when our, that our fights get so physical. And these were Mars Hill couples. And she said, the men at Mars Hill were not, excuse me, but you know, here comes my vulgarity. Uh, not allowed to masturbate and women were not allowed to decline sex. And so these Mars Hill babies just kept, what are you going to do? This is a great way to uh, fill your church up <laughs> with a bunch of new members. It's just, so they were just compliant baby factories. Yeah. And my, my friend said, I, I was very aware of the fact that most of these babies were probably not conceived consensually. So I was also dealing with uh, just hearing from friends whose mental health was just spiraling. They had no support. They were, they had to homeschool. They were like isolated. And, and the more I read about cults, it's just, this is exactly how it works. There's no, you're punished for any kind of deference, any hint of not deference, the opposite of that, <laughs> of not deferring. It was, it was startling and striking. And what was, the very worst part was that no one seemed to really see it. I was just like going, you guys, this is, this is the worst thing. At the time, my husband was on uh, a blackjack team uh, with a bunch of people, and th there was a documentary made. The Holy Roll is this the Holy Rollers yeah. documentary? You know about yeah. that? Okay. Okay. So he was. I read about it. I've never seen it, but yeah. Yeah, it's. I think it's, it might be on Hulu now. I don't remember the platform last. Okay. Time it was on on Hulu, but um. Anyway, all of those people went to Mars Hill except us, and okay. I just had to be around these families, and I'm like. Constantly, my jaw was dropping constantly. I can't believe that, that your husband just treated, said that to you, spoke to you that way. And you're like, okay, sorry. <laughs> and, um, I remember we had a meet, I called a sort of meeting because one of the dads slapped his four-year-old son's hand so hard. I just started crying. And they're like, what's wrong with you, Stephanie? You're too emotional. I like, you don't know what you're doing to your children. That was incredibly violent and terrifying and humiliating. And no one in this room said a word. None of you men of God, leaders of your household are speaking up for the most vulnerable on the, you know, and, and we like had this huge meeting and that I'm, I know they thought I was crazy, but no one was saying anything and these poor kids. And so it just comes from a place of that, I guess, but. And what did Christianity Today want? What did the podcast want to talk to you about? Because you were kind of part of this rumbling against the Mars Hill. I'm sort of credited for being one of the main people who drove Mark Driscoll out of Seattle. 
I hear that. I, I just, you know, I did, there were some papers here that, you know, I was talking to them at the time before it fell. And then when it fell, they're like, oh, this, you, they just said things like, you're responsible for, for Mark leaving. How do you feel? I need a statement from you, you know? And I'm like, I don't feel great. Cause he's just going to do it again, <laughs> which turned yeah, out yeah, yeah. anyway. So it's that exactly was kind true. of, apparently I had, there were people saying to Christianity today, you need to talk to her. And they're like, no, we don't want to. And I think that they did reach out to me under some sort of duress is the feeling that I get. Right. <laughs> okay. So they can check the box and say, we, we tried, but we tried. she was too crude. It was, she's just, frankly, her vulgarity. I need to, I have the screenshot of him saying that. And if that gets out, I actually wow. don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so now I'm not I I okay I believe you I'm not at all like disagreeing with you I just don't understand how it works that Christianity Today fans can shut down a Facebook page how does that oh. even work I believe oh. you that it's working it's how does it work it's the people in the publishing I, and all, well I, I've also okay my friend she works for Biden um a publishing house and she uh, yeah she does socials for them and and she's like oh you if you get mad at someone you can just um have every like people report your your page like crazy and that that's all it was. so you were targeted with a bunch of theology bros complaint reporting you yes <laughs> i suspect let's talk theo bros let's theo talk bros. theo bros i love this oh what's a theo bro stephanie theo bro is you know i don't know who came up with that i've always i always said brogressive or faux-gressive uh-huh. bro theo bro it's all the same stripe. It's the um, new incarnation of, I don't want to say Pharisee, because I've actually heard that's a slur. Have you heard that? The Pharisee is a not, you're not supposed to. I, I, I've talked with, my, I run another podcast with a rabbi, hmm. and we've talked about this more than once on okay. the podcast. <laughs> I only read it in one tweet, and I'm like, oh, no. But um, I mean, that's such a, it's such a basic default to pull that word anyway. So um, yeah, it's, a hypocrite it's someone who is a yeah, swagger and has no heart and um yeah doesn't want to listen no compassion the priest and the levite stepping over the man who fell among thieves and right uh but they present very oh i'm compassionate i'm i'm progressive i'm one of the good guys and but if you call them on anything right. the firestorm of narcissistic yeah. injury betrays what's right underneath the surface let's keep centering women then so what is it what is it that theobros let's just say i'm one i mean i might not be one i hope i'm not one but like you are wearing a what baseball. is it that i am and i've got a beard <laughs> <laughs> i mean what is it about what is it about being a kind of a, a, a theology i don't even know what the, i understand what a theobro is mm -hmm. It's like pornography, you know, you can't define it, but you know it when you see it. Um, but like what's what's being lost when we allow Theo bros to dominate the conversation? What's being lost is something that I don't think a lot of people are even attuned to look for, which is the fact that the patriarchy is in the air we breathe. It took me a very long time to see it. It happened when I was sitting in front of a board of Presbyterian elders uh weeping telling them what you have done to this fa you know family in the congregation that they they rewrote the um the vision statement of the church so that they could conveniently fire someone on staff and it was horrible and so i was just like i can't believe you did this to this family they were our your they're your brother you, you know how they just looked at me with dead blank eyes and my husband was right there and he repeated what i said and when he did that they went Oh wow, David, that's a really good point, huh? Wow, I never thought about it that way. And just it was such a watershed moment. I'm like, I got to get out of here. And I had to deal with seeing that finally. Like, where is it? It's everywhere. So I just think that the Theobro is someone we don't know to look for because we want to assume that people are who they appear to be at their word. You know, oh, they tweet these progressive things. They're tweeting at their senators. They want to support women. It's like, well. What are they really doing to put their neck on the line to help the people with less power? And it, it's very hard to see who doesn't have power. We're, we all live in a bubble. We all 
are only are influenced by what is immediately around us and who we're exposed to. And I really think that the way social media is engineered now, it's just reinforcing that because they give you more of what you want to see wherever you are on the spectrum. So I think Theobro is ultimately a kind of reductive and unhelpful name calling mechanism. <laughs> I'm not above <laughs> operating on that level at all, but I don't exactly. Ultimately, I don't ultimately think it's it's helpful. It is helpful. What you're asking is, well, what is that? And um, to be aware of how can we move forward with integrity and living according to what we really say we believe. And where does the I mean, have you ever seen satire work or have you ever seen like when you hold a mirror? I mean, it's not even satire well, what you do. Yeah, well, that's what fake Driscoll was. It's just like I've, I felt like I was, that was the only way that I could call out this really powerful person who was doing so much damage behind the scenes. that I couldn't talk about the damage behind the scenes because it was protected information. And so all sat, I think satire is an incredible agent of change. It might be the, the best one. Because people, it helps you, it gives a really accurate alternative view through humor, which disarms you. Is stuff Christian culture like, it's not really satire because you're really just highlighting things that were already made by the Christian culture. I mean, you're not creating stuff. You're just highlighting it. You're saying, oh, look, look at this thing I found. I've always, I've always had like little things like, like when Focus on the Family has a movie review. Do you know what I'm talking? Uh-huh. About? Are you how familiar are you with? Dogs? Oh, Stephanie, I, we I've probably seen you before when you were a serious girl in the audience of a James Dobson wow. video or something. I, I'm sure I've seen you. You you said that you were in a James Dobson video. Oh wow! Didn't you? Yes. Okay. So oh wow! I, I love that you knew. I'm, you I'm part of the culture that you know like dedicated their lives to James Dobson. You know, stood okay. up and okay. did an altar call. Okay. <laughs> So you're, you're familiar Dare to with discipline. Plugged in movie reviews and how they count the curse words and all questionable. So I like one thing I've always yeah right like I freaking love those reviews. They're so funny and I like I would I'll post like my favorite lines like someone said but yeah. it's spiritual <laughs> spiritual content you know God's name is taken in vain and um, yes so like I suppose that's a satirical angle to but I I don't know I actually what the definition always is of satire but yeah right I mean I we're not going to get an actual definition today but I I feel like it's not satire because you're not creating the content Mm -hmm. you are just highlighting you're like a curator shining a spotlight on something going huh isn't this funny that these people thought this and they said this and then you just highlight it like you're not yeah yeah. you're not putting words in their mouth you're just amplifying their words Oh God, no! So that the rest yeah. of us can see. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, when you do that, it's like, oh shit, we are, we are a broken subculture. <laughs> we are an intellectually and morally yeah. bankrupt ecosystem, aren't we? Yeah. Well, they don't see that. They don't see that they're. No. Yeah. 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 So you have to find um, a way to wrap the vitamin in the dog treat. You know. <laughs> So what what was the result of that? I mean, it, it really took off. It really, you, you kind of went viral. So you found, I mean, how do you deal with the, I've seen really nasty things written about you. How do you deal with that? Because you're not a nasty person. Yeah, I don't know. I cry a lot. Like I. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're like, you're not hidden. You, you, it was easy to get in touch with you. Put it that way. Okay. So that's, you're living your life. You're not actually hiding behind a wall of like a barricade. You're, you're kind of doing your, you're fighting on the front lines, I guess, against these bullies. And they hit back, right? I don't know. I, I I just, if I, if I see something, I'm like, I have to say something. Yeah. Right. When you say, how do I deal with it? I, I feel like I have gotten smarter about being able to pull back or maybe I'm just older and my priorities are, my priorities are changing. Um, where I don't right. feel like I need to engage and, and be the person to to point this out all the time. So, yeah, I do try to ask for wisdom and protection. I wear a lot of saint medals. I have holy wa- water with me all the time. I know that sounds weird, but to some people anyway. But um, I mean, I take the Holy Spirit shuts your mouth sometimes and holds your finger from typing. And Yeah. Or just like... <laughs> protect me after I say this after I hit send I I do need protection so 
I, I mean, have you ever gone too far? Have you ever had to retract anything or said sorry for it? Or I, oh, I have, um, I have tweeted stuff that I didn't know was harmful to say. This has been like 10 years, about 10 right, years ago. Right. You know, I would, I tweeted something and I'm like, the people are like, you can't say that word. I'm like, oh, whatever. You guys are fun being fundamentalists. And then, right. Right. And I was just being obnoxious about it and enjoying yeah. my freedom and like going, haha, I'm standing up to you fundamentalists. And then, uh oh, I think I actually did. <laughs> I was being insensitive. I was being, I heard a lot yeah. of people. And so, like that sort of thing. Um, but I mean, uh, social media is breaking our little brains as well though i mean it's not healthy we don't it's not, healthy. It's not good like have you read uh gerard lanier um 10 reasons why you should delete your social media no. now have you read that book no i mean it's good and jared was one of the designers of of some of this stuff really? and he now if you ever watch the netflix documentary about um about social media what was I, called? Disconnect it I need to because i keep hearing about it a lot of it's based on his work and he's in it. He's, he's, mm -hmm. he's one of the talking heads. But one of the things he said was like, I quit social media because I didn't like who I became when I was on social media. Wow. And I realized that's true about me. I was like, All right, this isn't about judging other people. It's like, I don't like the person that I am when I'm on social media. And I've hurt people and I was just firing off my little sarcastic, you know, game changing tweets thinking I was so special. And really I was just a yeah. jerk. No, you know what? I do yeah. want to say that in 2017, I had a kind of a pivotal moment that right. I decided this is a, a critical point. And I, and I went on a 21 day toxic thought detox, Dr. Caroline Lee. Wow. Um, she's, she's oh a, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she's a good. African Christian neuroscientist. Um, and she doesn't. Yeah. My wife loves her. But I, I really love her program for this thing. And, um, I kind of, people were like, what happened? Like people I only know through social media said something happened to you. Like you're, something's different. You're not a snarky. That was great. That was great. I really love uh, positivity and hope are, are massive and they are hard yeah. to find on Twitter. Um, if you don't, if you're not really seeking it out at least. So, so what, when you, when you're, when you're not fasting on stuff, Christian culture, I mean, when you are fasting on stuff, Christian culture, like what else do you put in instead? What, what other stuff do you absorb absorb just yeah absorb. what's your positive what's your go-to for some like good positivity good um, culture gosh it's all you know it all comes down to what is um immediately available to you and in, in your senses and i feel like just my screens are pulling my five senses away from me and i, I want to come back to that and um I'm constantly trying to meditate. I want to do it three times a day, just in like 10 or 15 minute bursts. But I think that that is going to help save us if we can focus on, on staying attuned and having all the screens, you know, <laughs> away from us for a little bit. I mean, like a Thomas Merton type existence or something. I'm Have you some ever tried? Again, right now. That's crazy. Yes. Although he didn't like, he kind of disavowed that book himself, didn't he? Oh, I don't know enough about him. But I do I know that if you go to his monastery, they're all mad at him. Like they're all annoyed with the fact that he has such a legacy. Has <laughs> he become a celebrity at this monastery? Is that the problem? Yeah. yeah. My go-to monk is Leonard Cohen. I love the fact that he mm -hmm. went off and became a Zen monk. <laughs> right. Yeah. He was always. Could fun. you live that life though? You can tell from his first, uh, his earliest stuff that he was going to end up there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I mean, you've got pictures of icons and saints on your wall and things. And could you yourself ever live that life? Do you think? Could I would you love be it. a hermit? I would love it. Yeah. There's um, a Carmelite monastery not too far from here, and I am in physical pain that it's been shut down for two years because of the pandemic. I used to go there all the time. Oh. The, these, the nuns have taken a vow of silence. Carmelite nuns. They only talk during vespers when they sing, and they're on behind this partition. And I just would go there. And it's yeah. the feeling I get, I'm like, I could do this. I, I would love to be in my little cell where one thing, pray all day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> be allowed to go out for one prison yard walk a day and then go back in. I, I could do it. <laughs> I think the, the problem with me, Stephanie, I almost feel like 
I've been so, I don't even know how to say this. I've been so sort of burnt out by the shitty Christian culture that I almost find it hard to even enjoy the good stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm suspicious of everything. I'm like, what's this person's motive? And are they really, I, I don't like worship music. It's, it's a really frustrating for me. There's nothing about it that I can connect to. I'd like old hymns for some reason, uh, but anything newer than like 1860 August Augustus Top Lady or <laughs> is one. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love that name. Um, it just doesn't connect for me. I, I don't know. I need I need ancient weird stuff. The culture I think has burned me out on anything new. I don't want to formally commit to membership of a community. I've kind of bounced around from Quaker communities. Right now we're going to a vineyard, a vineyard, why did I say vineyard, um, vineyard community that uh, is led by women and it's open and affirming. But um, I'm not hopeful about the vin- vineyard at large to open up their uh, policy to be inclusive. So it's like, I, I can't in good conscience sign on with you people, any of you. <laughs> is this the charismatic kind of aspect? Uh, have anything for you does, yeah, it, does that appeal to yeah, your mystical side that, yeah so strange coming from the background i did catholicism and uh anything charismatic held no resonance for me and i was warned against it you know and then lo and behold i i'm in my 40s and i'm like this stuff makes a lot of sense to me suddenly so i love the people there it's just I, i'm so wary of signing on officially and i think you said something earlier about how you're moving away from the organized stuff yeah yeah i don't think i'm a joiner i think i've learned that about myself i'm not a joiner yeah <laughs> because it's just i don't know why it's just too hard i'm a friend of mine right now is wondering about getting his baby dedicated and he's wondering like oh i don't should i get him de- dedicated in like this large church that i don't believe in or should i go in my small group and it's funny i can see him getting all tied up in knots because he's thinking about how much he wants to publicly identify with the institution you know yeah no i say weekly i say confirmed. i want to go through confirmation i want to be officially catholic so i can officially take the eucharist and my husband's like you would be the minute you got in you step one foot in they would be doing something to control you it bring you distress you'd be upset about how they treat the yeah right community and he's like you just keep taking what do they do to dorothy day dorothy day is all right she's a saint almost isn't she yeah she didn't want to be do you remember she said don't take me don't dismiss me that easily so i think that's funny that they're doing that (laughs) we could be a dorothy day couldn't we i don't know yeah i don't i don't think my life i don't know how i could do that yeah yeah well i guess she her compassion is what really uh stands out to me so if there are ways if that's what it comes down to and for anyone it doesn't matter nothing beyond that matters it's it's about compassion and going back to the theola bros they don't have compassion they're when they're called on the fact that they don't have compassion they get very defensive and shaming and um because truth is more important facts don't like your feelings that kind of thing yeah and i think that the i think that truth is very present in our feelings and that's inconvenient for institutions, businesses, the church, for you to be emotional. But if you believe in the Holy Spirit, what? how else is she going to speak then through something as inexpressible, unliteral as a feeling, maybe? Well, love was his meaning, right? I mean, that's the, the classic mystical vision is love. Love was his meaning. And that seems to be it over and over and over again. And even your kind of modern charismatics will come up with similar stuff if you if you find out what it is they're actually mystically coming up with and you think okay maybe there is something in that maybe god is love maybe god really is love can you imagine what if that was true yes. i know can you imagine then why is the world can you funny? imagine <laughs> if i could speak with the tongues of angels but not have love i'm just a big clanging symbol what if that was actually true that feels very yeah. true <laughs> That part feels true about social media right there, that verse. <laughs> okay, I've got to hear about I gotta hear about uh Tom Sharpling and the best show and, and some of this stuff. How did you get it? How do you find this stuff? How does a girl like you find 
City I'm Boy gonna... Roy and Oh well no, um John Worst and I are just we're good friends. We've been good friends for ten years or so and um Okay. So I never started out as a best show fan, but um he and I met on social media and like I said, like ten years ago. And when he sent me a friend request, it's because we have mutual friends, I I saw the name John Worcester and I thought Oh, that's funny. He has the same name as the kid from that Dead Milkman song. And um, the picture was of him sitting at drums. And I'm like, oh, a drummer. I'm not going to friend him. Drummer, whatever. But <laughs> but I was intrigued by the Dead Milkman thing. So I, I replied back. I go, your name's funny because it, it's like the guy from that Stuart, the Stuart song, the Dead Milkman song. And he goes, that's about me. I knew them. And, you know, he tells me the story and I didn't believe him. But anyway, so then we were off. And um yeah, I think we just kind of have the same sense of humor. And I have found that it's the humor. It is actually just funny Americans like you and John and others who have made me not be anti-American, mm. to be honest. Like, it's, mm. the, it's the humor. I'm like, okay, it can't be all bad. America <laughs> can't be like all bad. Because <laughs> it's really hard. I mean, I'm a, I'm a real, like, uh, I love to just. I love to throw all my toys. Do you, do you have this phrase, throw all your toys out of the pram? No. Do you use that phrase? Ever? No. <laughs> I, I'm i the kind of guy that like, once I find something is, is kind of rotten, I like to just say, all right, it's it. You're dead to me. That's done. I'm, I'm done with the, all of it. You know, I don't want to have anything to do with any of it. And and I, I have been feeling like that about America for the last four or five years. I'm like, no, I can't quite do that. I can't quite say it's all bad we're stuck here <laughs> well i know we were born here and yeah we were forced to, to bear its name it's awful <laughs> i know but but then you can see it in yourself right like you can see what happens to yourself when you i don't know it's hard to have a big heart and a big mind and live in a, a dumb culture oh. or a culture that rewards rewards uh m being moronic basically it rewards small-minded small-hearted people and I'm sure that's true in lots of cultures, but it's like, it's particularly true amongst evangelical cultures that we, that we know. And it's really hot. It's really hard. It's kind of embarrassing. I often feel just sort of embarrassed when I look at some of that stuff. I'm like, ah, I can't believe that that's part of Mike's, my story as well. I feel sort of embarrassed. I know. And then, then you go deeper and you think, how do I still harbor these views or these attitudes and is my embarrassment is that pride at <laughs> being associated with these low lives and how can I be compassionate to the low lives or do they even not do they not deserve my compassion because they're obstinate blah 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 <laughs> I know so this is where I'm always at it's like am I just being another bully when I say oh nothing you produce is of any value and yet I look and look and look and I don't see anything of value being produced. So I, I just, I'm always sort of stuck, to be honest. Yeah, there's so much to say that there's nothing to say. It's, it's so embarrassing. The, yeah, America is embarrassing. <laughs> do, you, do you have an alternative? Where would you go if you could go anywhere else? <laughs> that's such a good question. I mean, BC came to mind, but that's just right over the oh, yeah. border. Yeah, I should go to Switzerland or something like that. Did you actually live like was when you, were you with your husband when were you together when he was at BC at Regent? No, no, we. Okay, um, so you, you've never lived there properly. No, not not properly, unfortunately. But I love I love going up there. I love how it feels like you kind of go yeah. through the looking glass once you cross the border. Well, I was born in Vancouver, and BC is one of my favorite places in the world, and I'd love to live there. if I ever win the lottery. That's that'll be my place I go as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I grew up in Arkansas and Texas, and people are like, why are you leaving Arkansas? Why why would you leave Texas? We have everything here. We got. <laughs> so I'm like, are you so sure? Why did you leave? How did you get away? You know what? I always knew I would escape somehow. And in, okay, 1998, I, I graduated from college, and um, the internet was this new thing. AOL was sending those CD-ROMs to every yeah, yeah, yeah. person. And um, I was like, this is like Narnia. This is a little Narnia door to where you can find people. You can talk to people. And so I was in the process of trying to find interesting people to talk to. OK, Computer had just come out. And I was like, OK, let's find you know AOL chat rooms. Like, you can search profiles. OK, Computer. Who likes OK, Computer? Oh, a bunch of idiots. OK, who likes C.S. Lewis? Ooh, a bunch of idiots. Okay, who likes both? You know, Venn diagram. Okay, computer and C.S. Lewis. And I 
I came across my husband, one of like four returns. He was living in San Francisco and he had just um, gotten his MD, M- MCS, Master of Christian Studies from Regent in DC. And so anyway, we just like, were just friendly, just chatting. And then he sent me his master's thesis, which was a children's novel. And I read it and I'm like, oh, this guy has a really good heart. And uh, we just had the same sense of humor. And anyway, we ended up getting married and we decided just to start over new because he was from San Francisco. My family was in Texas. So we just picked Seattle just to escape and been here 23 years now. Have you ever gone to, I used to live in Oxford, which is of course, Radiohead and C.S. Lewis. Yeah. If you want to talk about the Venn diagram, oh. Tom York, I went to college just down the road from where Tom York was living and my local pub was C.S. Lewis's old pub. Oh, so I, I lived the, I lived the okay the, computer C.S. Uh, Lewis. Why am I, the eagle and the child, eagle and child? What's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That was my local pub. So, Dude. and there was always Tom York sightings all over the place. Oh, that. Well, okay. So I, I am a massive fan of the band Supergrass. I've oh, worked yeah. for a very long time. And um, my good, my good friend who I, she and I had a podcast together. She did their social media. She did their MySpace page back in like 07. And so we uh, got to know them and they're lovely. You don't get much more 07 than MySpace page for Supergrass. That's a, yeah, that, nice that is 07. And they are so <laughs> kind. They are just the nice yeah. Um And Mick Quinn, the bass player, I remember he asked me for a quote for their reissue a few years ago. And then, then he sent me a copy of it and my name was, you know, it was just, I was like, Oh, you guys are so sweet. But I think they live right, right around there too. That part of Oxford. Like, yeah, they're, they're an Oxford band. Yeah. Yeah, Well, shot over Hill. I mean, CS Lewis even used to live up in shot over Hill. So I didn't, I didn't know. I'm not as much of a Lewis fan as I thought I was. (laughs) Well, I'm not, I'm not either, but it's just Oxford. When you live in Oxford for 10 years or whatever, you pick it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got to have the gold. Oh, that's fun. I'm sure. That's so funny. And then Seattle as well. I mean, did you ever get much into the Seattle sound? Was that ever part of your? Well, I was twenty. Matt, I like. I was in high school when Nevermind came out, and then I loved Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. But I was in Arkansas, you know. So coming here, I, I wasn't here till the late nineties, and that everyone was so over it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> wanted to talk about it. I'm like, dang it! But um, when Lane Staley from Alice in Chains died that's when I found out that he had been living just a few blocks from me that entire time. And I was just, you know, in a state of meltdown. Like, I cannot believe that I was so close to ground zero and that sort of thing. Is there anything like that still in Seattle? What's it feel like now? You know what? I must be old because I hate, I hate the new music. I just hate the new sound. I hate whatever my kids listen to. (laughs) It feels like there's no real instruments in it. There's no melodies. I'm trying to teach the kids, kids, mel- okay, here's melody, here's harmony. They're like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Because like, you don't listen to anything that has it. <laughs> um, I, I find it funny that we're the generation that when we're in the old folks' home, we'll be playing Pearl Jam uh, in the old folks' home, you know? And everyone's going to have tatted sleeves. and. <laughs> I just... I was almost saving my old Nintendo thinking, okay, I'll, 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 this is what I'll use when I'm in my retirement. I'll use my NES in I don't, retirement. Right. I don't want anything else. I don't want my, my son has whatever the PlayStations are. And I'm like, give me that original NES. I'm so much better at you than you at Super Mario than you are at any of your little, little roly ball games that you play with your internet friends. I just, I still think of Seattle as like the cool center. I mean, I, I think it's just froze hardwired into my brain now that Seattle is where cool people come from. So I don't think I mean, that'll ever change that's now. That's true. <laughs> but no, it's fantastic. It's so gorgeous here. And whenever we drive yeah, up the bridge lovely. and, and you know, you have a mountain range on either side and the ocean's right there. And I tell the kids, look, they go, you say that every time I go. I grew up, but they're like, we know you grew up in Oklahoma and Arkansas and Texas and yeah. you never saw water. <laughs> Kids don't know how good you have it. Do you have any connection to the old life, to the old Arkansas life? Not really. I don't, you know what? My family, this is, I'm going to tell you something that kind of crazy, but my, I don't know if you know this, my family disowned me when I set boundaries with them. And this is a, this is a, 
a James Dobson focus on the family type family, is it? Yes, very much so. My um, my dad, my parents always worked for the Navigators. I don't know if you know that ministry, oh, yeah. but yeah, yeah I do, they yeah. worked for. And after they, because they disowned me in an email that my pastor was CC'd on. So like I had witnesses, you know, and my husband talked to the head of the Navigators. He's like, do you know that you have people on your staff who did this not they didn't only do it to me they did it to my brother and my sister when we all it happened when we asked them to go to counseling with us the, their response was we're never gonna it's too bad that you've made this decision and we're never going to see and talk to you again this is what they said to us so my my husband did talk to the head of the navigators and they're like ooh, well they've been on staff a long time and they're like a little scary so we're not going to mess with them so there's another instance of the hands-off we're going to, we're not going to advocate for the people without power here in the name of covering our ass and not having a hard conversation and being the bad guy in any scenario. You know, that might be where I get it from <laughs> is like, do you guys see what you're doing to these poor people here? <laughs> that might be where. Well, I mean, like, what is it? John Piper's disowned one of his sons, hasn't he? Yeah. And yeah. What is it about? so violent and that guy's an inspiration <laughs> yeah it's it's violent like <laughs> it's something about that kind of world which it's all about family values and yet they just produce like really nasty a family hearted values. people yeah like it's yeah. really nasty i know and i mean i know this a friend of mine uh jason biasy he's up in vancouver he's an american guy but he's now uh mm -hmm. yeah he works for uh he's the He's on the staff of Vancouver School of Theology. Mm. Really lovely guy. Has written uh, written some amazing stuff. The editor of some of my favorite books. But he was like, he made it. He's on. He was on the podcast a few weeks ago. So I'm not speaking out of school. But he said, like, when he was thinking about his career, he looked at the evangelicals and he's like, they're just nasty to each other. I'm not going to go into that world. Like, they ruin your career. You, you you exercise a little bit of intellectual freedom or something or compassion for somebody else and mm -hmm. they will gun for you like they will they will destroy your career and he's like he saw it happen over mm -hmm. and over again he's like i'm not doing that and i'm like yeah i agree i know i hear stories like that and i think what did they do to, you know they crucified jesus because he was coming with this message so like why am i so why am i so surprised i'm like a dog i'm like a golden retriever who's who's happy and surprised every morning you're like oh my god i get more food oh my god we're going on. like i'm surprised every time some christian is mean to another christian when will i yeah, yeah. You, you you run you're, you're too good too good-hearted for this world and no, you run no, through I, the I'm open doors all the time i have the, the pure heart of a golden retriever at all. And, <laughs> but you always think it's an open door and then it's a slam shut on you every time <laughs> i'm char i'm charlie and lucy charlie brown yeah charlie brown <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. So you haven't seen like, so, so that whole family connection is just completely gone now, right? It's gone. And it had to be because, you know, it happened when I set boundaries. I'm like, I had to do a lot of therapy to get to the point where I was able to do this. But, you know, my, my only ask of my family was, I said, I want a relationship with you. And in order to have one, I need to not be afraid you're going to shame me out of the blue. And they could, they didn't know how, they don't know how to operate in that way. Like it really blew their minds. Like they can't have relationships where they're not top dog and able to like shut someone down. <laughs> wow. But so you just had to say, I'm grateful that's it. for it because my kids don't have to, they, they didn't grow up seeing me wrecked by this. Now they have, my kids have really good boundaries. My, my daughter like will unfriend people and say, they don't listen to me they're not they don't care about my feelings so i don't need them and she ha she has no drama she doesn't she's just i don't need that person that person isn't a real friend but she doesn't mope about it it's just kind of a fact to her and i'm like i'm 40 almost 47 and i'm still working right. on doing what you're doing very easily yeah because it was like hardwired into us to please people or to, or that if you if, if i don't know what it is it's like we it's up to me to make everybody else happy and if everybody's not happy, then I've done something wrong, right? I and I feel that really strongly, which is why I had to come off Facebook because I would say something and then I would realize, oh, there's some unhappy people out there and it would keep me awake at night. And I can't live that way anymore. Oh. Are you an Enneagram 9? <laughs> oh, I'm a 4, actually. That's me. Oh, my goodness. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm a four. Yeah, yeah. I'm a four. Perpetually sad and nostalgic. <laughs> like, did that, you know, did I hurt someone's feelings? <laughs> and also, also, Stephanie, you know, like we have the high value for authenticity, right? So that, right? So like being in rooms where something is being said that we don't personally agree with is, I feel it physically painfully. Like I have to leave those rooms, right? And I apparently that's how I knew I was an Enneagram. That was actually how I knew the Enneagram wasn't all bullshit. Mm -hmm. When I read that an Enneagram four values authenticity and finds it hard to be in rooms where they don't, they can't believe what's going on around them. And I was like, Oh, this, this is true. <laughs> I guess Enneagram is right. <laughs> that was my moment as well. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. I was like, yeah. I'm not crazy. There is a, like they, like they've tried to tell me I am. <laughs> But I do. Well, maybe we are. About, yeah, right. <laughs> Let's not rule out. But um, there was what you were just saying about the being conditioned to please people. I have felt so yeah. strongly for the past few years that there is such a strong correlation between addiction, uh, uh, patterns of addiction, alcoholism, and evangelicalism. And I'm sure that could extend to all stripes of religion. I was going to Al-Anon meetings. Um, with a friend when she told me about it I was like this is pretty interesting and because she was going because her partner uh, was a sober alcoholic but sitting in those rooms and listening to these stories it's like this is uh, this operates exactly like the church you know people are protecting their the alcoholic in the family um, you have to do your condition to protect that at all costs and at the cost of your own sanity your own health your own needs and I was just wondering if any books have been written on the subject about how religion operates like an addiction. Oh, wow. I bet there is. If any listeners out there would like to help us find something, we'd love to hear it. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. So where do you, I mean, what do you, what would you say to people who, who realize they're just waking up to that kind of addiction? Where, where can they go? I mean, you're the trauma counselor. Yeah. <laughs> where do people go you know I've been very fortunate to to find good therapy I've had bad therapy but I've been fortunate to be able to also find good therapy and um and a good network of friends who have room for my uh spiritual inclinations and stories so if it just kind of comes down to finding someone who can be with you in your pain I don't know if it's particular to any podcast or book or resource, but uh, if you're able to find someone who will not discount your experiences, I, that, I think that's the, the healing key right there. And like we were saying before, like the kinds of people that are so, as soon as you bring up this pained me and then they shut you down because talking about your pain will wreck the smooth workings of the institution. Like that's the bit that I think, Mm -hmm. evangelicals especially just don't seem to be able to handle right like, because as soon as you bring up pain then you're the troublemaker mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's how I which is why is that why so many of us are leaving I mean is that why we have the our ex-evangelical deconstruction oh. moment is it yeah is it emotional if someone pain? ever asks me why are people leaving the church I say it's because they don't love us yeah right yeah simple as yeah. that yeah that's interesting and that's my um, yeah and marker now though for who's a safe person is is this person mm -hmm. able to empathize oh i love that stephanie i've just loved meeting you this is great do you, do you know that it was all because i mentioned i just name dropped you in a conversation i had with sarah that's so funny that's so funny because she did tell me that she talked to you and so i looked you up and followed you and then you're like oh hi <laughs> <laughs> well yeah because i was like wait a second i'm just being followed by somebody whose voice I seek out on a regular basis oh, this is so really fun <laughs> I mean we're coming into a close with the sort of official part of this conversation where where can people go if you haven't been cancelled yet if you haven't been <laughs> taken <laughs> off the airwaves where can people find you and more of your stuff um so at the moment stuff Christian culture likes is still on Instagram and then my Twitter is at stuff cc likes and it's still there. So as, as we speak, it hasn't been taken down as, by the yeah, PO bros. For, for now. I had to start a new private account. I told you that. But it's so strange. Very strange. My Facebook is still up there. Stuff Christian Culture likes Facebook. I mean, it's got years of archives. Yeah, lots. If you search Google on there, you're going to find a lot of stuff going way back. So. 
yeah and there's and then if people want to hear more about the mark driscoll stuff you've, you've talked about it uh, in other podcasts as well so i think it was the victims of the culture wars that i yes. probably heard you on. um is it veterans yeah. of culture it might be veterans of culture oh veterans wars. i talked to them. same same difference same I difference talked to um the greg thornberry quincy gideon jazz robinson podcast robertson might be her last name podcast um I, i'm okay. blanking on the name of that but that was a really good conversation because is that the bad christian no 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 um <laughs> oh wait there is a bad christian podcast uh and those yeah. guys are total fiala bros um oh okay but they're they all have names like oh th there's the growing up christian those guys are cool i talked to them okay so um okay yeah, yeah just come to me and i'll let you know who's on what site i'm just kidding you're I'm the gatekeeper yeah no seriously everyone you this is what i tell people you have to listen to your own intuition don't let someone yeah tell right you. don't let someone tell you something you know, you know check see how that makes you feel and go with it yeah. right yeah love is his meaning mm -hmm. and if you don't feel loved there's something something gone wrong mm. well i have so loved talking to you stephanie i really hope that we can continue this uh this conversation at another time thank you so much for having me and i'm also aware that you got up very early on seattle time to talk to me on my uk time so thank you so much for that as well i don't take that for granted at all i'll leave you now to enjoy the rest of your day while my day is uh, literally the light is dimming it's evening time for me so thank you for having me. all right go well thank you thank you for listening Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patron page or leaving a good review on your chosen podcast platform. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.